With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. It's Lars Larson. Thanks for listening to my podcast and for listening to The Lars Larson Show. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, You can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit IRAAdvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's IRAAdvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to Monday on the Radio Northwest Network. And when I say it's a target-rich environment, I say that from time to time, but today it is especially target-rich. We have China beset by major demonstrations in many big Chinese cities. And I do want to talk about that a bit later on. And when I say major demonstrations, this makes all that Antifa and BLM nonsense look like nothing by comparison. And remember the kind of environment it's happening in. And then there's Balenciaga. Now, I'm not a fashion follower, but I know what Balenciaga is. I mean, these are the folks who make tennis shoes that cost $1,100. They make all kinds of crazy stuff. And if people are willing to pay the price, that's fine. The only problem is they did some pedophile-friendly advertising, and now they're claiming, well, we didn't do that. That was our ad agency. Well, I reached out to Nordstrom Corporation, based in Seattle, uh, over the weekend, and I said, Are you going to still carry the garbage from Balenciaga, given their now ties to pedo-friendly advertising? Haven't heard back from the people at Nordstrom just yet, but I'll be patient in that case. But I wanted to start off with snow, because there is major league snow on the way for the mountain passes in both Oregon and Washington, and both states are critically short of snowplow drivers, and I think citizens who've already paid the bill I mean, you're already paying all the money to WashDOT and ODOT, and now those agencies are saying, hey, we're kind of sorry, but we can't supply the service that you've already paid for. Sorry about that, but we're keeping your money. Let me get into that in just a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. And if you want to join in, we make that invitation every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. 
That's 866-439-5277. And a promise we've never broken, not in 25 years, never will as long as I'm behind this mic. Naysayers will always go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. If you'd rather email, talk at LarsLarson.com. I get all those emails. I answer all those emails. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, this one's a little more localized, although you could imagine it, in almost any Northwest state. Does banning the sale of flavored tobacco or vapes solve a real problem? I would answer no. You can answer any way you like, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, last week, on Wednesday before the big Thanksgiving weekend break, I ask you this question. Should the news tell you the names of teens accused of committing serious violent crimes? I'm not talking about kids who go out and do graffiti, although I think there should be some harsh punishment for that. I'm talking about serious violent crimes. And I use the example, and it's been coming out of Seattle a lot. We've had a lot of teenagers. Some of them are adults. Some of them are still children. A lot of teenagers have been committing violent crimes. In fact, there was a road rage shooting that involved a 19-year-old suspect. He's technically uh, an adult, although not behaving like an adult. And then we have some 14, 15, and 16-year-olds who are now accused of committing serious armed robberies, which means there's the very real chance of somebody getting hurt or even killed. And yet the major media says, well, we don't put the names of those poor little darlings out there because that might be embarrassing. It should be embarrassing. If you're the parent of one of these children who at age 14 is out sticking a gun in somebody's face, in one case, a 14-year-old is suspected of doing three armed robberies of gas stops. In less than an hour, he is suspected in 30 more. And you say, but the community has no right to know his name? It's one thing if government officials do that because there's a law that says they can't tell you. It's another thing entirely when major media says, well, we're not going to put his name in the newspaper, on TV, or on the radio, because that might be embarrassing. Yeah, and it might also alert the public to a real problem. Well, I ask you, should the news tell you the names of teens accused of committing serious violent crimes? I said yes. So did 83% of you. Only 17% of you said no. I suspect those are the naysayers. They're the ones I'd love to hear from. But let me tell you what's coming up. And it's happening right now. There is snow falling in the Cascades in both Oregon and Washington. So, for example, the National Weather Service says up to 18 inches of snow will have fallen by just this afternoon. Now, what I did was about a week ago, I reached out to ODOT. I'm reaching out to WashDOT as well. And I said, listen, you folks say you are critically short of snowplow drivers. I suspect you did that to yourself with that COVID vaccination requirement. So I ask ODOT a few questions. How far short are you? Well, they're missing about 40 vacancies in seasonal and permanent positions, and most of that is snowplow drivers. So I ask, number one, how much of that had to do with your vaccine mandate? Well, ODOT decided to dodge that one by saying, well, we put the vaccine mandate in place, and by the time we got all done with it, a number of people had left, but we don't know if they left because of the vaccine mandate or they just got a wild hair and said, hey, I think I'll retire 10 years early. In any case, they lost a lot. I suspect they lost that of their own accord. That is, they made the decision. 
is the vax mandate still in place? No, it's not. Well, my next, I think, logical question was, well, then why don't you hire those people back if they're willing to go back to work for you? Can you hire them back? There appears to be no effort to do that. And my final question was this, and it actually got a decent answer. I asked Don Hamilton at ODOT, can ODOT contract out? In other words, there are an awful lot of private companies in the Northwest who say, we've got a contract if we run a big uh, shopping center or an employee parking lot, and we say, if it snows, we've got a contract with a company that will come by within a certain period of time and plow the parking lot. Our employees or our customers have to be able to get in. Okay, great. Can you contract some of those people? The answer is ODOT can contract out. Well, my next obvious question, was because with ODOT, you kind of have to ask one question right after another. They don't just necessarily assume where you might be going. I say, are you going to hire some of those private companies to come in and do the work that you can't do because you decided to get rid of a bunch of your employees? And I'd ask the same of WashDOT. Will you go out and actually get the personnel to do the job you promised to do? The job that I don't think uh, I'm really hurting anybody's feeling by mentioning again, the job the taxpayers have already paid you to do. You know, one of the sad things about the relationship between citizens who are becoming more like subjects these days, you know, not full citizens, at least not regarded by government as citizens, but merely subjects. You'll take what we give you and you'll be happy with it. One of the sad things is that uh, government says, hey, we've got your money already. And if we decide not to supply the service that you're paying for, too bad, we're going to keep your money. Will they contract out to plow the snow that they got paid to to plow already? Or will they simply throw up their hands and say, here's some advice, don't travel. Because that's actually some of the advice that is being, no pun intended, shoveled out by both WashDOT and ODOT. And then the question is, will citizens tolerate that kind of nonsense? Coming up in just a moment, what happens when a righteous beatdown sends a bad guy to the emergency room? I'll tell you about that, and I'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to a Monday on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Have you noticed that nobody ever seems to call it vigilantism when a righteous beatdown sends a bad guy to the emergency room? I can offer you a great example from Saturday night, a story you've likely already heard today. But let me point out what you're not hearing. If you ask most folks, do you support vigilantism? They'll say, oh, no, of course not. Webster's calls it a self-appointed group who undertake law enforcement without authority. Now, who could be in favor of that? Well, let me answer that. The fans at the B-Vans or B-Von sports bar in Northeast Portland, for one. A man walks into their watering hole just after midnight Saturday night intending to rob the place. Well, the patrons stopped him and then gave him a good old-fashioned beatdown. Nobody called them vigilantes. 
No reporters were asking the cops, hey, are you going to bring charges against the good guys in this case? No, they're just good citizens who know they live in a city where police response has become a joke with a potentially fatal punchline. A city where criminals do what they want. Judges cut them loose if they do get caught and a prosecutor who refuses to prosecute. If you ever wonder why more than 30,000 Oregonians right now are parked in the waiting line for a gun background check, hoping to beat the gun ban deadline a week from this Thursday, just stop by the B-Van, order a cold one, and ask the regulars about it. And don't you dare call them vigilantes. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill to Portland and its feckless mayor, Ted Wheeler. Portland has now, as of this past weekend, broken the all-time homicide record again. Remember, they broke the all-time homicide record big time last year, and now it's not even the end of November. It's near, but it's not the end of November yet, and the city has already broken and set a new all-time homicide record. As our friend Jason Williams at Oregon Catalyst puts it, a total of 93 people have been killed in Portland in 2022, breaking the previous record of 92, which was accomplished just last year thanks to the liberal idea of defunding Portland police by $12 million, cutting 100 police positions, pulling police from school security, the district attorney dropping nearly a 1,000 riot-related charges, state law Lawmakers voting to reduce prison times for many crimes and Governor Brown releasing 1,000 criminals early. We still have an entire month left in the year, so the homicide rate is likely to increase beyond the new record. One of the suspects in the recent deaths involved a suspect who has a seven times criminal record and drug abuse, which only serves to confirm what we already know about crime waves. They are committed by criminals who should be in jail and involve drugs. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Pacific Northwest. Currently hiring at the MEI Group, paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators, TheMEIGroup.com. Now, I withheld the name at the request of the author. Greetings and salutations, Lars. There are 1,258 FFL gun dealers in Oregon. When Measure 114 goes into effect, as I mentioned before, a week from this Thursday, most of those places will be going out of business. If you average five people per business, that will lose their job at a minimum. Some will lose everything they've built. You'll have 6,290 people who will be without work right before Christmas. If you add to that at least half those workers have somebody depending on that income, you have at least 10,000 people affected by that job loss. When you have people that lose everything they have, they have nothing left to lose. That's when things become dangerous. The average day person knows it's the fault of the corrupt government employees. The only reason to keep counting after election day is to cheat. I'm worried about what this might cause. My parents were born in the Weimar Republic and grew up through its fall and rise and what happened after. I grew up listening to the warnings of what and how it happened. Just my two cents. Please withhold my name. Well, I'm glad to do that. Now let me get to your calls. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go first, so let's go to a naysayer. David, welcome to the program. Thanks for calling. What do you and I disagree about today? 
Well, thank you for having me, Lars. We we disagree about a couple of things. But first off, the the publication of teenagers accused of crimes with a modern day where any information doesn't disappear, it just goes into the record and can be found. The presumption of innocence before uh, trial gets lost in that because they're then judged by public opinion, and that doesn't go away. If they're found innocent, that could leave a black mark on their record forever, whether it's no a, one is ever found innocent. You are aware that nobody is ever uh, found innocent, right? That doesn't mean it can't happen. No, no, I said nobody, nobody in our society, if you are accused, you stand trial. If the state proves its case, you're guilty. If the state fails to prove its case, you are not declared innocent in the United States. You are declared not guilty. And would you agree there is oftentimes a big difference between innocent and not guilty? Uh, I'll, I'll give you the difference, yes. Absolutely. Okay, so fair enough. So, so the, actually the logic, those crimes. The logic you laid out applies equally well to adults, doesn't it? It does. Okay, this is why I don't accept that logic, because if somebody is accused of a, is arrested for and accused of a crime, if they are later found not guilty, should the public be able to find out this guy was once accused of rape or accused of murder or armed robbery? Which, if it was not him, then that, that black mark carries If it was not proved. Well, let me ask you the question. If you, have you ever run a business? Many times. Have you ever hired employees? Yes, I have. Did they handle money or things of value? Some of them, yes. Would you hire somebody to be in charge of your money or your valuable things if they had been accused, let's say, four or five times of armed robbery but never proved guilty? Possibly, but it would definitely <laughs> give me pause. Possibly. Well, possibly. It's a maybe. You wouldn't say, I'm not taking a five times accused but not guilty armed robber and putting him in charge of my cash. You're somewhere on the fence on that one? Uh, No, I'm not. On the other hand, so you would hire him. No, no, hold on. No, but let's let's follow this. I know you don't want to do this thread, but let's follow it through. Would you put him in charge of your money or not? No. Oh, so in other words, you're finding him guilty, even though the court found him not guilty. You see, this is where the hypocrisy comes in. It sounds like a good game until the guy is in charge of your money or until the accused pedophile but never found guilty by a court is now the babysitter of your grandkids. And at that point, you say... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. 
view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. No freaking way. It is a Monday. Your calls are welcome. And naysayers, of course, go first right here on the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails in a moment. In some ways, I have very mixed feelings about these most recent developments. On one hand, I said, look, I could say I told you so, but it's terrible what is being done here in the Pacific Northwest to businesses and employees. Uh, for example, this is now getting international attention. The Daily Mail in Great Britain picked up the story. A company in Portland called Reigns PDX says their business is no longer financially viable, quote, when criminal behavior goes unpunished, so they are simply shutting down. The store or the business has been burgled 15 times in the last 18 months. They put up a note and said we're closing down. A note on the store cites fears over escalating safety issues for our employees. It is just the latest in a string of issues for businesses in Portland. Uh, Salt and Straw, we told you about last week, is simply saying they may leave the city as well because their concerns are not being answered. Now, there's a young lady who knows exactly what that feels like. She is Angela Todd from the group PDX Real. Uh, Angela, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you, Lars. I'm doing wonderful. Appreciate the time. Now, you've had the experience of going to city officials saying there are dangerous situations. You identify them specifically. I mean, right down to the address. And what kind of response did you get from City Hall? Well, it's interesting. At the end of my two, three-minute testimony, the mayor said that he was going to look into the issue with the, in-camp, the impact reduction team. And also that I and other citizens would be pleased at the rapid response that they are addressing these encampments. Nine days went by, and now we have over a half million dollars in damage at a U-Haul at 49th and Hague, and we almost had a home burned down. All of this because of a problem that you alerted the city council to 10 days ago, and you got a a specific personal promise from the mayor. He would look into it, he would address it, and you'd be happy. Well, are you happy? I'm not pleased at all, and I just fired off a note to him and the county, um, as well as the state and House representatives, as well as uh, Tina Kotek, governor-elect. It's just, it's incredible the negligence that our city and elected officials are causing. It's just unbelievable. You know, it's you, you see a fire like this and people read these stories and then they move on about their day. But the stories related to organized crime and open drug sales at this location and others are just unbelievable. You know, there's shootings at this particular location before this. Two neighbors have been held at gunpoint. Homeowners have gotten threats. There's been nightly gasoline theft at the U-Haul, auto and petty theft. There was even a child abducted on that block from a stolen vehicle and recovered. It's just, it's unconscionable what is happening and how they're hiding their head in the sand. Now, I got an interview with the mayor last week. I think all of these problems (laughs) are, well, thank you for that. I think they're all solvable, and I think they're solvable within the resources they have, within the laws they have. If they simply said, we're going to take every tool in the toolbox and use it, it's solvable. Do you agree with that? And if not, tell me why. And what would you like to have City Hall do that would actually make you happy? 
I, I listened very intently to your interview, and you were right on about the county's negligence in this as well. We have a district attorney prosecution problem. Just at this site, there is surveillance video of a man who lives across the street in an, in an RV that was running from the scene whenever the fire happened. And the police knocked on the RV. His girlfriend said he wasn't there. And the arson investigation told U-Haul employees that unless they can find a drill bit that showed that they had drilled into a gas tank, they in this huge ash mess, that they weren't going to press charges. And obviously that has to be turned over to the district attorney, but we all know stories throughout Portland of just unbelievable stories of crime that have not been prosecuted. And typically as we find these people, I followed some of them, uh, just their rap sheet. They have multiple arrests, lack of prosecution. It is, it's pretty simple. We just need to prosecute crime. We need to arrest and prosecute. I, I, I agree. I cannot I agree with you. that and, we use this word homeless for this. This is ridiculous. They're drug addicts. I mean, for the most part, they're drug addicts. If you could take the drug addict mm-hmm. population out of the homeless population, I have a feeling, I, I think that uh, Eric Johnson, who did a documentary about Seattle called Seattle is Dying, he went out and talked to the homeless. And they said, look, everybody out here is addicted to something, either booze or drugs. And, and by their own account, except that you have people saying, oh, no, these are all sympathetic cases. Somebody's boyfriend kicked her out with her kids. And, you know, in other words, they'll make up every sad sob story you can hear in the world. You don't have anybody say, yeah, I'm out here because I like to smoke crack and I'm going to keep on doing it until somebody makes me stop. But I think that crack, meth, fentanyl, whatever it happens to be, heroin, uh, those that's at the center of it. And the reason I focus so much with uh, Feckless Ted on on calling out the D.A., is that the voters don't get another shot at that DA for a couple of years. But if local authorities, including the governor-elect, the current governor, the current mayor, the members of the city council, if they all came out and made a drumbeat and demanded that Mike Schmidt do something, but they're all about, no, we're going to protect each other, we've got each other's backs. You know, once you get an elected position, you never get any criticism at all. They'll criticize every, everybody else in the world, but they will not, they will not critique their own. And I think that's unconscious. I do, too. And I I think that it's important that I know you know this, Lars, but there it is so important to understand that this entire elected body has been passing statutes, ordinances, um, and they have been placing so much emphasis on allowing this to happen. Like we this 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 situation is only complex because of their political ideology and what they are pushing into our city. This is, this is not civil behavior what's going on. It's not safe for people that are obeying the law. And we're seeing it happen where people that are harming others are allowed to do so, and citizens are left with, with no recourse. I mean, there have been dozens and dozens of reports to 911 non-emergency and that I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, 
precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Stupid site that never gets back with you, PDX Reporter. We're following their process, and they are ignoring people. And people are going to continue to be harmed there. And this is what I'm just so worked up about. Well, and that's what we've got to start addressing. If we don't get public officials to take responsibility, and when they say, well, it's only in my lane. Listen, only in my lane did not hold Ted Wheeler back from bad-mouthing, say, patriot prayer, saying we don't want people like that here, which I think is a, a, a hugely uh, unconstitutional thing for a mayor to say to condemn free speech. He didn't have any problem condemning Donald Trump. He didn't have any problem condemning conservatives or gun owners or anybody else. And yet when you say, how about condemning the DA who's letting all these criminals go? And their reaction is, when they're criminals, is to say, let's go do it again. And and to some extent, the media is to blame. I, I started today by saying... Uh, Talking about last week's Twitter poll in Seattle, they're saying we can't identify this 14 year old because he's accused of three armed robberies in the space of an hour. He's suspected in 30 more. But gosh, we can't hurt the little darling by maybe embarrassing him by telling people this is a kid who is formally accused of three armed robberies, suspected in 30 more. But no, we're not going to tell the tell the public who he is. This is just absolutely out of control. And until they start calling it out, nothing in the world is going to happen. Angela, thank you very much. That's Angela Todd from the group PDX Real. It's a Monday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Coming up next on the Radio Northwest Network, Seattle and their new budget community or committee that talks more about skin color and pronouns than anything else. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Before I go to calls, let me mention this to you, and I'll give full and lavish credit to Katie Daviscourt, who is with Rebel News Online. She got some interesting sound, and I can't play all of it on the air. Actually, it's clean for a change. Uh, I don't mean about Katie Daviscourt. I mean an awful lot of the sound bites that we get from people uh, tend to have a lot of language in them that the radio uh, stations and the FCC do not like. But the city of Seattle has set up a... Uh, well, a citizen budget advisory committee so that they can, you know, keep an eye on the budgets and all that. And Davis Court points out that the folks who are in this committee actually start all their meetings by stating their skin color, their ethnicity and their pronouns. Take a listen to this. My name is Jeanette Blankenship, and uh, I am white, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Black, Pan-African, he and his pronouns. Thank you for joining us for Transformative Budgeting for Racial Equity. We have to really start with decolonizing the space. We have to understand what that means, right? And really invite an intersectional analysis around how we're looking at race and social justice and how we're looking at how we acknowledge where we start, where we come from. When I say that all of our systems have worked to enforce, create, and uphold racism and exclusion, I really mean all systems. I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as black, ethnically Somali. So in a country colonized and declared founded by white men with means, all others have been marginalized and made vulnerable. These disparities, which flow from the legacy of the racism, patriarchy, ableism on which this country was founded. 
Now, these are the folks who are in charge of considering how much to increase your taxes and how your money gets spent. Do you think they have their priorities in the right place? I don't. But then again, I'm glad to hear naysayers. Anybody who says, yeah, we should have racial equity. Do you know what racial equity equals? It says we're going to spend money. We're going to spend public government tax dollars based on people's skin color and what pronouns they use and trying to achieve some kind of artificial racial equity. I'd be glad to take a naysayer on that. At 866-HEY-LARS, that's 866-439-5277. Let's go first to Nick. Hey, Nick, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind on this Monday? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the uh, the backlog with the background checks for firearms, and yeah. uh, in my mind, it seems like it's the it's it's a, it's, a, it's a constitutional crisis. We, uh, you know, I'm in line now. I'm a concealed carry permit holder. I've bought dozens of firearms over my life. The background check, it's just standard, no problem. Typically takes one two minutes. It's instant, and the way I see it. This backlog is deliberate. They just turned the switch off and stopped, stopped doing the checks. It's not like somebody pulls a file out and puts human beings' eyes on it. It's all automated. Actually, actually I hate to tell you this, Nick, but it is. That's exactly what's happened. In most states in America, if you go to buy a firearm, they run you through a system called NICS, the National Instant Check System, run by the federal government. And in theory, it contains all the information that might pop about about you or me across the entire United States of America. The state of Oregon said, no, that's not good enough. And some years ago, they said, we will have all of the background checks done by the state police. Instead of going to NICS, which is the national system, they also do a NICS check, but they have you checked out by the Oregon State Police. In other words, they do put it in human hands. And right now, they're getting about 4,000 background checks a day that are coming in. 4,000 people trying to buy a firearm. They're clearing about 3,000 a day. And if you say, well, that sounds pretty good. The problem is that means they have a net deficit of about 1,000 a day. Some days it's gone as high as 2,000. So a few weeks ago, there were, well, a couple of months ago, the last time I bought a firearm, there were 3,000 people on the background check backlog. Uh, And some of those are more problematic cases where somebody's name looks like a bad guy's name, those kind of things. They had about 3,000 in the backlog. A couple of weeks ago, it was 10,000. As of last night or or today, it's around 30,000. Because what's happened is the system that was set up to handle maybe 3,000 checks a day, which is still a lot, uh, was not set up to handle what they're getting, which is 4,000 or more per day. So they're ending up with a backlog that is growing. By the time we get to a week from Thursday, which is the deadline, after which you cannot buy a gun in Oregon, period, and may not be able to buy one for months. It could even be for years. And I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating that. Um, the backlog could be 50,000 people. And so if you think it's deliberate, they are clearing thousands of people every day. I'm not defending them. I think the whole system is a giant mess. Uh, but it was a mess that was made years ago when they said, we insist that we do, do beyond a national check, national check plus Oregon, as though Oregon is not part of the United States of America. And some days I'd actually think there, 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 there may be good reason to believe that Oregon has, has stopped being part of the United States of America. And as of a week from Thursday, all gun sales will be banned for a period of time. The period could be, could be weeks. I don't think so. 
probably at least months, could be a year, could be longer. Uh, and nobody exactly knows. Nobody in officialdom has any clue as to how long that ban is going to be in effect. They're going to court this Friday, and if there's any justice, a judge will strike the law down or at least put it on hold pending you know, a, a bigger, better court hearing you know, weeks in the future. If, if the judge does not put it on hold, then the ban goes into effect a week from Thursday, and Oregon will be the only one of, fifth, of 50 states, 54 if you're a Joe Biden fan, where gun sales will, to the public will be banned. And that is unconstitutional. I agree, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But the system right now is seriously messed up. And, uh, and are they doing it deliberately? The Oregon State Police would tell you we're cranking out 3,000 background checks a day. The problem is they need about four or 5,000 background checks a day, and they're not getting it. It's a Monday, and it's the Radio Northwest Network. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope that you are thankful to God for all the wonderful blessings that he has showered on this country and its people. Uh, I'll get to your phone calls and emails here in just a moment, but I want to talk about something, uh, and that involves a law that's on the books right now. Now, if I asked you, if you took a box cutter knife and carved a swastika into the forehead of a teenager, how long do you suppose you might go to prison? And if you said a long, long time, you'd be absolutely right. But what happens when a law that was actually passed, not by the voters, but by the lawmakers of the state, allows somebody like that to get out early? Because they say, well, he's been transformed and he has atoned while behind bars. I thought I'd put that question to our friend, the former district attorney of Clatsop County, Josh Marquis, who joins me now. Josh, how is it that you can carve a swastika into somebody's head? We don't even know what the, I, I think you know more about the motivation uh, that this young man had for doing something so bizarre, uh, committing torture on a teenager, and now he's going to walk out of prison early. And the mainstream media, including the Daily Dead Fish Rapper, the uh, Oregon Live folks, seem to think this is just fine. They do. This was a bill that got very little attention. I believe you talked about it last year. It was on, up in 2021. On, on paper, it sounds reasonable. It says that if the district attorney and the defense lawyer, after the case has gone through appeal, 
think that there's some injustice that needs to be done, you can go ahead and, and, and you know, pull the, the rug underneath the conviction. Of course, what that assumes is that the prosecutor is doing their job and protecting victims. This entire bill was written essentially for really one or two DAs, Mike Schmidt, the Multnomah County DA, who is the biggest enemy victims in this state have. So what in, I think you've already done stories um, re- reflecting some of the good work done at KGW last week about how Multnomah County is literally filing less than half the charges that either of the neighboring counties, uh, Washington and Clackamas, are doing. They're, they're, they're losing murder cases at an astonishing rate that's never been seen before, and they're just walking away from crime. But now this is something above and beyond this. This basically uh, puts the um, district attorney in a position really almost ahead of the governor and says, you can go back. You don't even have to get the position of the victim. All you have to do is make a a reasonable effort to try to find the victim. In many cases, the victims will have moved on because it might be, well, in this case, this was this happened eight years ago. But the other part that you didn't mention, Lars, is that uh, this young man, Blue Calmback, who is shown in his pinstripe suit in the Oregonian, nice not only too. will uh, he not be in prison, he won't have a record at all. He's going to be treated as a child. And there will be no record whatsoever of what he did to this unknown victim who the Oregonian didn't bother to name. No, they didn't name. And do we even know, does the, does the system have any idea who the victim is or was? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, there, there at least used to be obligations to notify the victim of the hearing. Um, this bill specifically has, has a clause that doesn't actually require the consent of the victim. This is what's so spooky about this. This may sound technical, but we've always assumed that prosecutors, the job I held for 25 years, well, they'll look after the, the, the victims. They'll look after the community. Well, we've had three, four years now of Mike Schmidt, the DA in Portland, doing the exact opposite. He's basically, uh, he wants to get points um, from the criminal defense bar, George Soros, and uh, and professors like uh, the woman at uh, Lewis and Clark who's engineered this whole thing. So this is not just this one case. It's a whole bunch of people. And again, the article says falsely, oh, there's no way for these people to get their records erased. I've been on your show, Lars, many times complaining bitterly how easy it is to get, frankly, you know, half a dozen burglaries wiped off your record, perjury wiped off your record, coercion wiped off your record, wife beating wiped off your record. I mean, it just it goes away. It will never, ever show up again. I'm not saying that people should walk around with a red letter branded on their forehead. We're talking about five, ten years later, these people could be in positions of considerable trust, whether that be teachers, in law enforcement. Um, and when the question is asked, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Their answer is going to be no, and it's going to be a lawful answer. Yeah, and, and this is, I, I mean, on one hand, Josh, we've got people, uh, and this is where I find the whole society schizophrenic right now. On one hand, we say, oh my God, that shooting in Colorado, how could that have happened? Was there any forewarning? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, there was a year before uh, the mass murder of five people at a gay nightclub, 17 other people had holes poked in them by being shot. 
And you say, did we know about this guy? Yeah, law enforcement knew all about him. He had threatened to kill his mom with a bomb. And you go, well, what happened to him? Nothing. They wiped out the charges. And this is and so that, on actually, one that's hand, a really they good say analogy, we, Lars, because well, Colorado just, is one of the few states worse than Oregon, and they have a, they have built in a law before us that automatically wipes out cases that aren't resolved. So as if they don't even exist. So that's why the cops, can, some of them in Colorado, claim. Hey, we didn't know anything about this guy. He wasn't on our radar because he hadn't been convicted. Well, and, and when you say on one hand, we want to find these people who might do violent things and we need a way of turning them in before they've even committed a crime like red flag laws. And you say, OK, you've got this guy he carved a swastika in somebody's head. Yeah, except that now he's going to blue calm back. He's going to walk out of custody, as you said, with no record whatsoever. And later on, right. if and maybe he lives a straight, uh, you know, a, a, a life on the path uh, or maybe he goes out and does other things and folks will say, well, gosh, we had no way of knowing he might do something crazy and violent because there's no record. He ever did anything crazy and violent before, except there was a record. It's wiped out by this law. Of course there is. And that, you know, and, and it's not like Oregon doesn't learn. Um, about 35 years ago, there was a highly sensational case where a teenage girl deliberately drowned one of the kids in her charge. And she was convicted as a juvenile of murder. But because she was a child, the, the matter was erased. She then went on to try to kill several other people. But at the time, the police said we had no way of tracking her because she failed she dropped off the, off the record. She, it didn't exist. And it's one thing, as you say, Lars, that if somebody really turns their life around and goes forth, more power to them. You know, I, 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 and in many cases, you know, they should have the opportunity to prove themselves. But unfortunately, for every one of those, there's usually two or three others that fall back into addiction, fall back into cruelty, and people are going to get hurt and killed. And then the question is going to be to the government, to the media, why didn't you do something about this? And the response is going to be, oh, we didn't know nothing about it. Yeah, because your state representatives went to Salem. Uh, I think they're doing the same kind of things in Washington state. And they said, we're going to change the laws and forgive these people in the eyes of the law. That's Josh Marquis, the former DA of Clatsop County. Coming up in a moment, what would you think about the normalization of pedophiles? I'm going to tell you who's pushing it. And he's from the Pacific Northwest. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. That new Disney gay movie is a flop. You would think by now someone would say stop. Disney stocks in the tank. They've got wokeness to think. It's a woke world after all. If the liberals at Disney get their way, soon every character will be gay. They'll replace Mickey Mouse or give him a male spouse. It's a woke world after all. The woke agenda at Disney rules. Their board of directors are left-wing tools. Want to indoctrinate? They won't allow debate. It's a woke world after all. Disney will pay for being so woke. If they don't back down soon, they'll be broke. 
nobody will show and they'll lose lots of dough it's the real world after all welcome back to the lars larson show that's our parody guy jim gossett and while he's talking about disney there's something going on that's much broader than that including an attempt to try to normalize pedophiles into american society let me back that up in a moment but first welcome to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to have you with me and if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism it's right here every day at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 you can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. naysayers always go to the head of the line at lars larson show on twitter or at LarsLarson.com. And welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 22 and a half years. Now, let me identify the person whose newspaper is backing one of these crazy ideas about trying to normalize pedophiles, because that's quite an indictment to make. But let me cite the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame, uh, I, the, the paper was liberal before Bezos bought it. It has become more liberal ever since. And over this past weekend, there was a review of a stage play. Now, ordinarily, uh, I've gone to live theater before. It's, it's, it's fun to go to, but it's not one of my big passions. So I don't read the uh, theater part of the Washington Post or the New York Times or any other newspaper very often. But this one's strange. Because the Washington Post gives this very favorable, very sympathetic review to a new play, a stage play, that's going on. It's called Down State. And here's what it's about, as described by the WAPO. Living together in a group home in Downstate, Illinois. Their movements, the movements of about half a dozen different men who live in this group home, are monitored electronically. Four men of diverse age and backgrounds eke out marginal existences in menial jobs and managed routines. And why? Because all of them are convicted pedophiles, meaning they sexually abused children. They've now got out of prison, done their time, and they're living in a group home. Now, as the paper describes it, the playwright loaded the device to uh, dice to some degree in downstate as the predators who've completed their prison terms are depicted not as monsters. Yeah, that's where I'd put the most pedophiles in the monster category, but rather as complicated and troubled souls. Felix is a taciturn loner, keeping to himself. Geo is a smarmy operator with a job at a local office supply store. D is a clear-headed ex-stage performer who is fiercely protective of the oldest resident, wheelchair-bound Fred, a one-time piano teacher of serene disposition. Now, what happened? Fred molested the kids who came to him for piano lessons. This is the story. And then he went to prison. And in prison, most of the other criminals in prison, and it's a pretty hardcore place in most prisons in America these days, are not very sympathetic toward, to, toward people who sexually abuse children. So he got beat up and he lost the use of his leg. So now he's in a wheelchair. And what happens in the play is that the person who comes to confront Fred or have a sit down and talk to him is one of his former victims, now an adult, who's done okay. All right. He's gone on with his life despite the fact that he was sexually abused by his piano teacher. Now, all of this is presented by The Washington Post in this very sympathetic manner. So I, I read through this 
And then later on, I saw this piece by John Nolte at Breitbart, and he said, so according to the Washington Post, the playwright wants us to sympathize with the molester and then see the victim of the molester as indulgent and marinating in self-pity. The kid who was sexually abused by his piano teacher as a child is sitting down, and this is what a lot of people in criminal justice these days call restorative justice. It's a bizarre idea in which you say, why don't we have the victim of this sexual predator? They even suggest that rape victims do this. Sit down with the person who raped you, or in this case, the person who molested you as a child, and have a conversation, because it'll be good for both of you. Now, if you're having the same trouble wrapping your head around that idea that I am, where you say, oh, so somebody sexually abused you as a child, and now as an adult, you're supposed to sit down and kind of come to some kind of terms with this person, and they'll apologize for what they did to you, and you'll say, I'm sorry that you're a pedophile, that kind of thing. Nolte goes on to say, the playwright portrays the victim's psychic pain as something less than the physical pain that the molester lives with after getting beaten up in prison. Do you see the pattern that's going on here? You've got, and this began years ago, when libraries, public libraries in communities all over America began having drag queen story hour. So we're going to normalize the idea that men, and it's mostly men, who like to dress up as women, usually in garish costumes, that uh, this is something that'll be good for kids to see. Government-run schools that encourage your kids to mutilate themselves on the altar of a sicko trans agenda. This is, again, Nick Nolte, uh, not Nick Nolte, John Nolte from, from uh, Breitbart. Uh, grown men in high heels who share locker rooms with your young daughter. And Tony-winning playwrights portraying child molesters as sympathetic and the victims of those child molesters as kind of self-indulgent. And what Nolte wrote, and I thought it hit right on the point that I... With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. I was thinking about when I read about this crazy play in Jeff Bezos' Washington Post. This is what the left's embrace of gay rights has always been about. I'm not condemning gay people. Plenty of gay people are disgusted by this stuff, too. This is about Democrats and leftists and the perverts who've captured the dominant culture. The goal is twofold. Destroy traditional religion and have sex with your kids. That's what the left wants. The play is not just about seeing child molesters as human beings. It's about normalizing the behavior and then sympathizing with the abusers while we shake our heads in disgust at this crybaby who can't get over being abused. My take, I've never been the victim of sexual abuse. And frankly, 
I've talked to so many people over the years, men and women, who have been abused, and it is gut-wrenching. I think the best predictor of future behavior in any context is your past behavior. And frankly, if everyone around you knows you have a problem, while it might be embarrassing for you, it might actually help you toe the line. But if you say, but it's embarrassing, imagine that little or boy, boy or girl grown up with sexual issues, perhaps for life, or roadblocks to any kind of s successful relationship, and then sing me your troubles as a convicted pedophile. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, I have a bias in this case. I'm an American taxpayer, and I think the federal government spends way too much money. I would defend that by saying they spend too much money anytime they spend more money than they take in. And I would apply that to individuals as well. If you tell me that you make $4,000 a month but spend $5,000 a month, I, I think if you ask me, it's, you know, I, I'll give you my opinion, you're spending too much money if you're spending more than you take in. The federal government does that all the time. But then there's what they spend the money on. And lately, we've been hearing a lot about the federal government spending a lot of money on what I would call woke projects. Well, I wanted to learn more about this, so I've invited David Ditch on, who's a policy analyst in the Grover Herman Center for Federal Budget at Heritage. David, welcome back to the program. Glad to be here. You point out that Congress got rid of a really terrible practice called earmarks, where we ended up seeing money spent for things like the bridge to nowhere in Alaska and a lot of other crazy things. Uh, but that has not stopped this Congress from allocating a lot of money uh, to agencies to spend on what some of us, conservatives at least, would call woke projects. Would you mind uh, illuminating my audience and tell, tell them what this is all about? Interesting. So uh, if we go back uh, a little over 10 years, we had the Tea Party movement, and one of the big things about that movement was a push against corruption and overspending in Washington. And one of the positive results of that was that for 10 whole years, Congress got rid of all these earmarked pork projects that were in these annual spending bills. Unfortunately, Congress has lost its way. A lot, a lot of the American people stopped holding their feet to the fire, which is the only way you can get Washington to be responsible. And for, the, uh, for last year's uh, spending bills, they brought the pork back. And now they're looking at even more pork spending that could come uh, before the end of the year. In other words, if they don't get it done by the end of the year, do you have any great confidence? I mean, speaking from Heritage, you'd, you'd be in a, a, a position to have a, a, a perspective on this. Is the new Republican Congress going to return us to a no more earmarks, no more pork, uh, or are we likely to see more spending anyway? Just these Democrats say we've got to get all this spending out the door before we go out the door in January. I wish I could say with 100% certainty that, you know, if it ends if the ball comes into the uh, incoming House Majority's court, uh, that things will go our way. Um, there's absolutely no guarantee. There are, unfortunately, uh, several dozen Republicans who've sort of gone along with the uh, the new pork spending ways in you know on, on Capitol Hill. But I do believe there's a chance if the new uh, the House Republican Conference has an internal vote to get rid of earmarks, 
then that could potentially lead to the you know, essentially you know, if the Republican caucus says we're going to go by what you know, what the rules are. That means that the House wouldn't go along with earmarks, and if the House says no earmarks, then the Senate's not going to be able to have earmarks if they want to have any sort of government spending goals. No, so so so, so the Democrats that. may push forward from the Senate saying we want earmarks, but the Republicans, if they have a spine, if they can maintain their spine, they can say we're just not going to do it that way, and and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we're not sending you any spending bills that contain all this extra pork. Exactly. It's it's all about being willing to take a stand. And I really believe that if you know, if we're going to actually get federal spending under control, if we are ever going to prevent ourselves from going off a cliff, from running into bankruptcy, we need to start somewhere. And I believe this is really the, the best place to start because it's the, this is the worst of the worst in terms of spending. And yet it's very attractive because every one of those 435 House members, well, not everyone, but a number of them, love to come back to their district and say, hey, that uh, dam project or that this project or that project, I got the money for that, hoping that they'll be rewarded two years from now when they are up for re-election, and they'll get re-elected because they'll say, hey, so-and-so really brought home the bacon for us, even though they realize that when 435 or even a substantial number of them start doing that kind of thing nationwide, all you end up with is lots and lots of spending. But I believe that that case starts to get a lot harder to make when you have to say that, okay, so I brought home this new new sewer line for one of these local towns, but I had to agree to spend $3.6 million for a Michelle Obama walking trail in Georgia. I had to spend $3 million on an LGBTQ plus museum in New York City. I had to spend $2 million on a Great Blacks in Wax Museum in Baltimore. These are all real projects, to, aren't they? These are all real projects that haven't been passed yet. They are waiting in the queue, they're, they're right now attached to the spending bills that are being debated right now. And unless, again, unless the House Republicans are willing to stick up for themselves, to stick up for all the people who told them they want to see government spend less so we can get inflation under control, that's the only way these things get stopped. I guess, David, the, the, the part that bugs me, and maybe it's I'm a conservative and I can't see this, but even these local groups that really want these local projects, like the Michelle Obama walking trail, why do they think that that is a function of federal government? Other than the fact that it's like Willie Loma, you know, uh, Willie, uh, the, the, the bank robber who said, uh, I rob banks because that's where the money is, that they're going after federal, uh, the federal treasury because that's where the money is. And, and I guess I wish that some of the people in those communities would say, you want to have a Michelle Obama walking path? Raise the money locally. Well, nobody wants to give money for it. Fine, then don't build it. No, no, we can get the money out of Uncle Sam. They're just giving it away on Capitol Hill. Uh, I, I think there's a responsibility for citizens, too, to stand up and say, if you want to have that project and you think it's desired by people who live within driving distance of the Michelle Obama walking path, then get them to pay the bill. 
And uh, and the answer always seems to be, no, no, Congress will give us the money for no reason whatsoever, even though it doesn't seem to meet, match what I've read in the Constitution about what the job of the federal government is. One of the long-term projects of the left is trying to centralize as much power and control in Washington, D.C. as possible so that it can be run by politicians and federal bureaucrats because they think politicians and bureaucrats know how to run the country, know how people should run their lives better than the people know themselves. And unfortunately, over the last several decades, too many Republicans have gone along with it thinking that the quote-unquote free money for their local communities is worth ceding all this power and control to the left. It is a bad deal, and it's time to go the other direction. And it's a very short-term deal, because it effectively says, if we can't get the money out of Washington, D.C., there's no way to do it locally. And yet, I would think that if there's popular support for any of those projects, the Great Blacks in Wax, uh, or the Michelle Obama Walking Path, or any of the rest of that stuff, I might think it's junk, but if they've got enough local constituency, say, you go out and raise the money. In fact, if you want $3.5 million for that, go get about 3,000 people to each say, I will go out among my friends and neighbors and raise $1,000. Get 3,000 people to do that. There's your $3 million. Um, and, and, and do it that way rather than just saying somebody in Washington, D.C. will borrow the money uh, and hand it to us and everybody else will end up on, owing the bill. David Ditch is a policy analyst in the Grover Herman Center for the Federal Budget at Heritage. David, thank you so much for the time. Glad to be with you and glad to get to your calls, which I'll do next at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you've got the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live on the Radio Northwest Network, where we at least attempt to serve the Pacific Northwest and the states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Our Twitter poll today, does banning the sale of flavored tobacco or vapes actually solve a problem? I would say no. Uh, the powers that be say, oh, if we ban the flavored tobacco and flavored vapes, even though it's already illegal to buy tobacco or vapes if you're under the age of 21, then we'll keep it away from the kids. I don't think it keeps it away from the kids. And I think there are an awful lot of adults who use the flavored vapes or flavored tobacco. I don't use either one, so I don't have a dog in the fight. So I'd say no. But you can vote on the Twitter poll, which is inspired in this case by Multnomah County, which is now going to propose a ban on flavored tobacco and flavored vapes. Well, there's a problem with that, and that is that Washington County had done the very same thing. They had passed a ban, they were taken to court, and the courts decided the county does not have the right to do it. And you would think, well, wouldn't Multnomah County be another Oregon county that would also be forbidden to do it? They say, oh, no, we're different. We're allowed to do it. I feel they're going to go to court as well, and they're likely to lose. So it's kind of a fool's errand, but they may be just trying to virtue signal anyway. You can find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Matt in Estacada. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, you're certainly welcome at 866-439-5277. And naysayers go to the head of the line. Matt, what's on your mind? Oh, hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call. You I just wanted to chime in uh, with respect to that measure, I believe it's 114, 
um, with a Which firearm. is now, it becomes a law a week from Thursday. Yeah, that, that's terrible. Um, right when folks started talking about that, actually I heard it on your station, I told my wife that they're going to they're gonna pass that one way or another. And uh, so at that time, there were three uh, firearms that I've been looking at for a while. They're higher end, and I just decided to... Uh, to go for the, the, the long long rifle first. And there is a way in terms of the background checks to where a person can get it done very, very quick. So on this long rifle that I bought, uh, my background check and everything came back within a matter of nine minutes. Yeah. The last two pistols, some automatic pistols that I uh, bought. I usually go through a place in uh, Gresham. I don't know if you want me to say this gentleman's name. I don't care. Uh, but he, oh, Keith, Keith Sporting Goods in Gresham. I've yeah. going there for like 20 years. Uh, Keith couldn't get it, so he told me to go to Sportsman's Warehouse, where I ordered them online, and uh, I got an email last week telling me that they were in, and I needed to go there and um, uh, do the paperwork. So right when I walked in there, um, there was a ton like 49, 50 people in line just waiting. And they had yep. a number system. Kind of like okay, but Matt, you're, you're taking a long time. I, I need you to oh, okay. get to the point. You said you have some special workaround because well, I'm no, not aware I, of a workaround. I don't, know what, no, I don't know what it is, but I told the gentleman after I submitted my information, I said, I said within a matter of uh, 15 minutes or less, this is going to go through. Uh, he didn't believe me. I said, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll pull up a chair anyway. So it actually went through in seven minutes. Well, you'd already had one go through, so no surprise that that two more would go through as well. And, Matt, a lot of people have said, well, there's a a state law that says you can get it in three days. No, it's actually a federal law, and it's the one that the the Measure 114 intends to close. They call it the uh, Charlotte loophole. And it's ridiculous because what it says is if you go in and you fill out all the paperwork and they submit your background check, if it doesn't come back within three days, the gun store is allowed, allowed to release the gun to you. Now, most gun stores in the regular environment have said, we're not going to release them early. We're going to wait till the background check comes back, good or bad. Um, and, and the reason I think a lot of the gun stores are now going to start releasing after it's actually five days, three business days later, they can release the gun. Um, but there is no fast workaround. The fact is that they're building, the, the backlog is now above 30,000 people who are waiting in line. And I know uh, there are plenty of people, Matt, who will say, well, mine got done in five minutes. Okay, fine. Yours did. But there are, there are more people every day trying to buy a gun in Oregon than the Oregon State Police can background check. So if the state does about 3,000 background checks a day, the number of people who are buying is four or 5,000 a day because the backlog has been building at about a thousand a day sometimes as high as two thousand a day and a week from thursday when that deadline comes well if the gun stores release them early then they'll they'll go out the door into the hands of customers if they don't then you're stuck because on the 9th of december because the secretary of state decided to let this law go into effect i think earlier than was legal but that's what the secretary of state the democrat did on the 9th of December, it becomes illegal to buy any gun in Oregon for a period of time. And the period of time will be up when the, the state police sign off on classes you can take that will qualify you to get a permit. 
The permit system does not exist right now, and we don't know when it will. And the classes do not exist now, and we don't know when they will. So on the 9th of December, everything uh, just stops at that point. And you're probably going to see the vast majority of gun stores in Oregon simply go out of business. And that's ridiculous. It also means that by the time the state police get around to creating the class system and creating the permit system, there may not be anybody to buy the guns for from anymore. And uh, Oregonians will be permanently deprived of their right to buy a firearm. And that's a violation of the Second Amendment. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday. Uh, I want to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment, but uh, earlier this year, we played a rather amazing piece of audio. It either came from Seattle or Tacoma. I can't remember which. It's not that important. It might have been Seattle. And what it was was a man who was running from the police. His girlfriend was in the car as well. And he had his girlfriend dial up 911 during the police chase to tell the dispatcher, tell these police to stop chasing me. I know they're not allowed to chase me because that's now the law. And it was absolutely, in some ways, epic. It shows the gigantic failure when you pass a law, in this case, House Bill 1054, and you say, we're not going to let the police chase the bad guys in a, a great number of cases. Not all cases. They are allowed to chase in some cases. But in this case, even the bad guys understand the law is on the side, not of, not of victims, not of the police, not of the system. It's on the side of the bad guys. Well, now, maybe Washington State's legislature could actually get about the business of fixing this problem if they're so inclined and they're not too busy with other important things involving wokeness or pronouns or whatever. I thought we'd talk about it with Paul Guppy, who's vice president for research at the Washington Policy Center. Paul, welcome back to the program, and I hope you and yours had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We did. Thanks a lot, Lars, and thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, next Thanksgiving, will we be thankful that the Washington legislature got right about the business of fixing the cockamamie system where even the bad guys know the cops are not allowed to chase them and they call 911 to say, hey, tell those cops to stop chasing me. They're not allowed to do that under the law. Well, we hope so, that we won't be facing this problem next Thanksgiving like we were just in the last year or two. Uh, because even the Democrats have heard that this is a problem. They have a strong majority in the legislature. The legislature meets on uh, the second week of January. And reforming, the, I should say, you know, repealing this experiment and telling the police not to uh, chase criminals has not worked out very well for our state. So we're hoping the legislature listens to that and they do something about it. The whole problem starts from uh, April of 2021 when they passed a bill. HB 1054 is the number of the bill. Governor Inslee signed it, and it led to exactly that phone call that you just played. That bill instructed the police at all levels, local, county, state, that they are not allowed to pursue criminals unless they have an overwhelming amount of evidence uh, on a particular crime. So that creates a problem for the police because they can't collect evidence 
if they're not able to stop people who are suspected of committing a crime. And that's where this problem comes in. All right. So what's holding this back? I mean, and and I, I guess, Paul, what I'm trying to imagine is Democrats thinking we're not going to support the idea of letting the police chase the bad guys again, even though we know it's been a disaster to tell them you can't chase the bad guys in most cases. And we're just going to vote no on it. And nobody is going to hold us to account that the public will say, oh, that's okay. You decided that it's still okay for the criminals to run and still okay to tell the police not to chase them. Do they really believe that the public is going to tolerate that? Well, we hope not, because this is the logical fallout of the defund the police mentality. So this policy and this bill I mentioned, HB 1054, which was passed, you know, in 2021, came exactly out of this ideology, which is restricting the police. The argument that's made by the sponsors, because at the Washington Policy Center, we always look at both sides. We're like, there must be some kind of reasoning behind this bill. And the argument was made that it's safer for public safety if the police are not engaged in high-speed pursuits on the roads. Well, it turns out that that is the opposite, because uh, police chases have gone up by more than 90 percent. Violent crime has almost doubled. And the reason is because the signal that criminals get is I can run from the police and they won't chase me. So it actually makes the public more at risk under a previous policy, which was a message out to the criminal community. If you try to run from the police, Nine times out of ten, we're going to chase you down and get you. So, so don't run. <laughs> so you, you actually end up with fewer chases when people know that running from the police is not going to result in a good outcome for you. You're not going to get away. You're going to end up getting arrested anyway. So you might as well just pull over and talk to the cop. Uh, that is the policy we're trying to get back to. And through uh, harsh experience, that is what lawmakers are learning are ha- is happening across the state right now. I guess the thing that makes me a little bit pessimistic, I'm talking to Paul Guppy from the Washington Policy Center, is all of the people who oppose this change in the law in House Bill 1054 said this is what's going to happen. The bad guys will get the message. They can run anytime they want, and they will run more than they're running from the cops right now and create an even greater public safety hazard. They told the Democrats that. And apparently the Democrats didn't didn't listen. So are they any more likely to listen this time around now that we've actually seen the harm actually become the reality? Uh, Yes, I think they are. And because we see, again, the policy center, we look at trends uh, in fighting crime across the country and we see that even left-wing Democrats are pulling back from this idea of defund the police. They know that it's been harmful for them. They're candidates who actually denied that they were ever in favor of defunding the police. So when you see (laughs) both parties pulling away from this policy, uh, that creates an opening for a dialogue in a bipartisan way in the state capitol. The key is for Republicans, who are, who are in, in this case, are the minority party. But I would, I would say the same if the Democrats were in the minority, which is for the opposition party to make it an issue, continue to cite statistics about danger in the community, keep bringing it up. And what that does is tell the party in control this issue is not going away and we're going to have to deal with it in some way. Okay, so you're right we... that, that the Democrats held their majority, but they should pay attention to this issue. Well, and should we worry about this? Because I can imagine a bunch of these Democrats, even if they say, well, yeah, I realize we have to change this back, but I want a way to save face. So what we'll do is we'll change it back with other new restrictions that we'll throw on. We'll let the police No, I mean, can you imagine this? Because they're not going to want to just say, you know, mea culpa, we screwed up. 
we put people at greater risk, we will now reverse what we did. They'll want to say, oh, no, we just uh, reformed the bill or we made some corrections. They're going to want to do that, aren't they? Yeah, so they will adjust it almost certainly in an effort to try to make the issue go away. Um, I, I'll give you one correction, which is there aren't going to be any mea culpas because the, the Democrats never apologize. They never say, we're sorry, we made a mistake, we're going to reverse. But what they will do is try to moderate it. But again, it, as with any legislative body, whether it's Congress or a state legislature, it's really up to the opposition members to, to pressure this and make it an issue and that forces the committee chairman and the Speaker of the House and the governor to respond to it in some way. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos. And then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. And the strongest argument is, is the reality that is happening in communities across the state where crime is rising. So that's the only way to put pressure on the majority to do something about it. I mean, imagine this, Paul. I mean, for people like talk show hosts, it's great. You know, for the for society, it's terrible. Uh, I mean, as of a week from Thursday, you know, Oregon will become the first state in America where it's illegal to buy a gun, but legal to use and carry heroin with you. Uh, and 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 those kind of comparisons, I don't think they benefit anybody. That's Paul Guppy from Washington Policy Center. In a moment, uh, we're going to talk about myocarditis and the vaccine, the jab. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. This segment brought to you by NickShivers.com. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm concerned about the jab. I'm concerned about the so-called vaccine that does not stop you from getting COVID, doesn't keep you from transmitting COVID, doesn't even stop you from dying from COVID. In fact, last week I told you the Washington Post finally admitted that 58% of the people who died in the most recent month for which they have statistics, uh, 58% were vaccinated. And if you said, well, I thought the vaccine was supposed to make death less likely. Yeah. yeah, And you would expect that the roughly one third of Americans, about 30 plus percent, who've decided not to get the vaccine, they'd be the ones most at risk. Well, it turns out that the majority Not quite two-thirds, but 58% of those who die of COVID recently um, have died even though they were vaccinated. But there are other concerns as well. And I've told you from the beginning, I decided not to get the jab. And I I had COVID. Uh, I got over it. It was fine. Um, But there are new concerns that are being raised, including myocarditis in relatively young people. I'm talking about teenagers in this case. 
And I want to tell you that story. But first, if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. You can find that at Lars Larson Show if you don't mind Twitter. And if you don't want to go to Twitter, go to our website. The vote there counts the same. And before I tell you this story that's told by Rav Aurora, who's an independent journalist who writes about COVID specifically and public policy and those kinds of things, let me tell you this. Since I was a little kid, I have loved science. And for me, science was always a search for the truth. And there were always theories that were the popular theories of the day. And oftentimes, there was this kind of orthodoxy where if you were, you know, the folks who subscribe to the current theory of the day, uh, I often mentioned the theory that said the Earth is the center of the universe and everything simply rotates around the Earth, like the sun and the moon and the stars and all that. And of course, we know that's, you say, well, that's goofy. We know that's not true. Well, we didn't know it at one point, And anybody who said otherwise was considered a heretic. Um, I think that's happening today with COVID. I think it's happening today with vaccines. Instead of simply searching for the truth and saying, what do we know? What does the data tell us? And as new data comes in, what is the new data telling us? Well, let me refer to this piece by Ray Aurora. May 12th of last year, a school teacher by the name of Emily Joe took her 14-year-old son, Aiden, to get his first Pfizer vaccine dose. And of course, uh, you know, her pediatrician had said the kid should get the shot, and that made her decision. She knew the mRNA shots caused some adverse offense. So this was a year ago. So she had some pretty good information, uh, but apparently decided to ignore the possible side effects. At the time, despite alarming heart inflammation reports out of Israel, the CDC had publicly claimed to have found no signs of myocarditis after intentionally investigating over 200 million administered doses. Now, as usual, the CDC has spent a bunch of the last year saying, well, we were wrong about this, we were wrong about that, we lied about this, we lied about that. Emily Joe, the teacher, says she was never warned about myocarditis, about the risk for her 14-year-old, or informed about the risk-benefit profile. She said, when I took Aiden to get his vaccines at the drive through vaccination site, there were no warnings about myocarditis. We were not counseled about any side effects to be aware of. In the name of public safety, scientific innovation, and personal health, Emily Joe sent out a celebratory tweet proclaiming that she and her family were so thankful, this is May of last year, that her teenage son was able to get vaccinated. Her pride and relief turned out to be tragically short-lived. Two days after her son's second dose, which he got a month after his first dose, he ended up in the hospital with intense chest pain. Now, this is a 14-year-old boy. He was moved to a room on the acute cardiac floor. He was found to have elevated levels of troponin, which is a key sign of heart damage and an abnormal electrocardiogram. Every doctor Emily Joe spoke to at the pediatric hospital, this actually is Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, confirmed her son had suffered from vaccine-induced myocarditis. I've told you about a case involving a young lady from Seattle who decided to get the shot uh, because she wanted to be a room mom to her kids at her kids' elementary school. She actually dropped dead from it. It was vaccine-induced thrombocytic thrombocytosis, I think is the way you say it. Um, in any case, uh, her son was finally discharged, but he hasn't returned to a normal life. 
Aiden was unable to do physical activity for six months. Sports, hikes, and other forms of exercise were deemed too dangerous for his heart, a typical consequence of myocarditis injuries. Now, you can, you can hope that this young man, actually, when he becomes a young man, recovers fully. But historically, vaccines with adverse event profiles far lower. But they're still deemed too high than the mRNA myocarditis signals. They've been withdrawn. The 1976 swine flu vaccine was pulled back because it had a 1 in 100,000 risk of Guillain-Barre syndrome, an approximate 1 in 3,000 risk of vaccine myocarditis in young males would only be favorable in a cost-benefit analysis wherein the risk of the disease was considered serious. And yet the pre-vaccine COVID infection fatality rate for people under age 30, get this, is 0.003%. After you have the dose, it goes to a roughly 10 times higher, 0.03%, 10 times higher in the fatality rate. Now, are those incidents relatively rare? Yes. But the question isn't what the group sees. You say, well, for a group, this is not going to affect very many people. What you care about is the one dose that you get or that your kids get. On that note, let's go to Mike. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening. What's on your mind? Um, that you said in the beginning, and I hear it all the time, and it drives me yeah. bananas. What is that? It? People are dying from COVID that have been vaccinated, which is not true. People are dying from the jab. It's not a vaccine. It never was a vaccine. They created COVID so that people would get the jab. They didn't create the jab for COVID. That's what this is really all about. And not enough people are willing to say it or admit it or just understand it or do their research, but this is a massive depopulation agenda. And it I've, I've, I've heard, heard I've heard the theory before, Mike. The problem is what I try to try to go from is if I'm citing stats from, say, CDC that says of the people with COVID, I, I, I of the people with COVID, the percentage who died who were vaccinated was 58 percent of what the CDC calls the COVID deaths. Now, if you say, well, Lars, you should relabel those and do it on your own say-so. No, I'm not going to do that. Because, Mike, I, I always try to back up my arguments with factual information. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a scientist. But I read really yeah, well. But- and if CDC but- says, of the people with COVID who died, 58% had been vaccinated, it suggests to me the so-called vaccine, and it's not, re- and I agree with you there, it's not really a vaccine. It doesn't stop you from getting the disease. It doesn't stop you from going to the hospital. It doesn't stop you from dying. But if you want me to make up my own statistics and say, I'm going to change those stats that I use, yeah, I'm not going there, but I appreciate the offer. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Dial me up at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers always go to the head of the line, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If it sometimes starts to feel as though the world has been turned on its head, I'm with you. I understand why it feels that way. 
because you've got the party of Antifa and BLM riots suggesting, no, no, we're not the dangerous people. The dangerous people are those crazy Republicans. You know, the ones that are always talking about the right to life and saving unborn babies. They're the dangerous bunch. Well, that's exactly what the left is trying to do right now. And I thought I'd bring on Sean Carney, who is CEO and president of 40 Days for Life, which is a nationwide effort to try to make sure that we save as many babies as we possibly can, preferably all of them. Sean, welcome back to the program. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. So over the weekend, the New York Times editorial board has this long piece in which they say that Political violence is something that's very serious. And we know where all that violence is coming from. It's coming from Republican conservatives. Uh, I'd like to get your take on that before we get into the conversation more deeply. Yeah, I mean, it's not that it's just inaccurate, which it obviously is, but that it's awkward because they're highlighting something that doesn't reflect well on them. I mean, the FBI director just got done saying, that in regards to abortion, 70% of the attacks are, are not by pro-lifers. They're done on pro-life people. So it's a subject that Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry, and certainly the New York Times, should be avoiding. So I don't know why they wrote the article, because it's, it's not true, and it's been verified to be not true by the head of the FBI. Now, Regretfully, they still haven't investigated all, you know, the pregnancy centers being firebombed and all of this. They haven't done a whole lot, but they've at least acknowledged that 70 percent of these attacks regarding abortion are done on pro-life people. So you can just say stuff that's not true and have a great career at The New York Times. Well, and not only there, but at the DOJ, because as you point out, there have been a few dozen attacks on pregnancy resource centers, which are, I've told my audience, are one of the purest forms of First Amendment free speech you can imagine. Money raised yeah. privately to allow people to counsel young ladies who are pregnant about the other options they may have with no ability to coerce them to do anything they don't want to do. And as some of the folks of the pro-life center, uh, pregnancy resource centers have told me, Oftentimes they'll talk to a young lady and then she'll say thanks for the information, walk out the door and go right down the street to Planned Parenthood and terminate her pregnancy. So, you know, are they happy about that? No. Do they have any legal way or, or even eth eth even a way that would be ethical to say uh, we're, we're going to keep you from doing that? No, they don't have that, nor do they seek that. And yet the, their centers are being firebombed, ransacked, broken into, destroyed by people. The FBI does nothing about it. And yet the FBI goes out and raids the home of a, a, a Catholic guy uh, who, along with his son, would occasionally go out to pro-life protests at abortion centers. And they show up at his house with 20 armed agents to take him into custody. That's, that's the difference. So it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. And the DOJ actually says, which Americans are we going after? Will we go after anybody who breaks the law or will we go after people who have broken no law while ignoring people who have broken the law? And that seems to be what the Biden DOJ is doing. Yeah, it's just become a political arm of the administration. And you mentioned Mark in Philly, who was participating in a 40 days for life and and was in this altercation because the guy's cussing at his kid. And then the local DA was like, there's nothing here. The cops left. They're like, this is Philly. This is, there's no issue here. They leave. Uh, the DA, who's pro-abortion, doesn't press charges. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the FBI raids his house. And people have said, they didn't have guns drawn. 
I we have the picture from the stand. <laughs> so the FBI, there's I know what an AR-15 looks like, and the FBI agent standing in the front porch with an AR-15 who made the pictures public. So you know it wasn't a water gun. Um, so I think that that they don't know what to say in, in a post-row world. You have Elizabeth Warren saying we need to shut down those wonderful pregnancy research centers that that you just referenced. Um, you know that they're torturing women. I mean, a lot of pregnancy research centers are run by women who have had an abortion, uh, you know, and, and now they're they're offering free alternatives that maybe they didn't have 20 or 30 years ago. And it's just they're such great do-gooders. So, you know, you, you go to a fundraiser for a pregnancy center, you're going to meet people that support abortion on some level. But they're like, I mean, we all support this. This is resources for women. And yet our government won't defend them, our politicians like Elizabeth Warren attack them, and it's a loser. It's it's a big loser in messaging. The New York Times is feeding into this, um, and they don't have a lot to stand on. I think that's why we're winning at the grassroots, as we're being you know persecuted by what is the most pro-abortion government in the history of our country. I'm talking to Sean Carney, who's CEO and president of 40 Days for Life, great organization. Uh, I spent most of my career as a reporter being what was called a street reporter. That is, I'd cover pretty much anything, you know, that the TV or radio station I was working for wanted me to cover. You know, house fires, murders, drug raids, the, you know, the whole nine yards, the boring stuff, city council meetings, things like that. But a big part of my focus was on what we call courts and cops, meaning people who got arrested, people who got charged, people who were put on trial, and then people who go off to prison. And when I was doing that, I can't remember a, a time where they had somebody go out and commit several dozen crimes and then take name brand credit for it, Jane's Revenge, and say, yep, we're the ones who've been blowing up or firebombing or ransacking all these pregnancy resource centers, and the FBI can't seem to find them with a flashlight, a map in both hands. They, they, they can't find their own backside. No, in their own TV. The guy in Michigan shot a woman in the back. I mean, you know, with a gun, you know, wasn't a slingshot. And he said, yeah, I shot her in the back on accident. And the local DA, we shot an 80-year-old woman, a pro-life volunteer who was going door-to-door giving information. And the pro-abortion DA said he was unsure if he was going to prosecute. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just absurd. And I guess we have to laugh about some of this because it's so unbelievable, but I mean, can you imagine? It goes without saying, but we'll say it. If it was, if the shoe was on the other foot, can you imagine a pro-life pastor or somebody or like me, you know, shooting a pro-abortion advocate who was going door to door? I mean, that no. would be the end of it. So, as it should be, because you know we don't shoot people in our front yard uh, who are handing out information on an issue we disagree with them on. So, uh, it, it's absolutely insane. And that's what makes the New York Times article so stupid, because they it is the majority of pro-abortion attacks. It's blatantly obvious. The FBI and the DOJ are doing nothing. And the New York Times is, like, highlighting it, you know? Um, and, and suggesting and that, that, that it that, is, as they say, the white supremacist and anti-government extremist individuals and groups that are the biggest threat. This less than two years after the end of 
a nationwide series of riots over the most of a year in which an estimated $3 billion in damage, three dozen murders, and literally thousands of assaults happened. But conservatives were the ones who are the big danger. Sean, keep up the good work at 40 Days for Life. We really appreciate you coming on the program. That is Sean Carney with us. Your phone calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show is brought to you by, well, NickShivers.com. If you want to sell your home immediately... I'll tell you what, go to nickshivers.com. No showing, no hassles. You pick the closing date, nickshivers.com for details. And your phone calls and emails will be coming up next. We'll be glad to get your calls. And one week from this Thursday, buying a gun in Oregon becomes illegal for a period of time. And nobody knows how long that period of time is going to be. Nobody even has an educated guess, but I'll give you a couple of thoughts on it next, right here on the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live always on the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 22 and a half years with honestly provocative talk. And this segment of the show always brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. Our Twitter poll today is do you does banning the sale of flavored tobacco or vapes solve any problem and my answer to that would be no uh the folks at multnomah county say they are on the verge of passing such a ban even though other another county has tried doing the very same thing and was shot down in court uh, the court said you can't do this counties don't have the authority do you think that gets in the way of multnomah county of course not They say, no, no, uh, we can go ahead and do it. We're different than the other 35 counties in the state of Oregon. So does banning the sale of flavored tobacco or vapes solve a problem? I'd answer no. You can answer any way you like. And the Twitter poll is found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, last week, uh, the last Twitter poll we did before the Thanksgiving holiday, should the news tell you the names of teenagers accused of committing serious, violent crimes? Now, I've often had people try and set up a straw man and say, well, do you want the name of every kid who's done graffiti or stole a car? No, I'm talking about teenagers accused of committing serious violent crimes. And the example I used last week for that Twitter poll was a 14-year-old in the Seattle area, Puget Sound area, in South Seattle. This young man is accused of robbing three different gasoline stations in the course of less than an hour. Armed robbery of the gas stations in less than an hour. Yes, he's 14 years old, but apparently he has or had a gun, and apparently he is accused of those crimes. The police suspect him in 30 other armed robberies, and I said, we ought to know the name of that teenager. And, of course, you get the sanctimonious daily dead fish wrapper, in that case, the Seattle Times, saying, oh, we don't give out the names of teenagers accused of crimes. Well, I could imagine that for some crimes, you might say, well, you should probably keep that uh, under wraps. But in most of those cases, the crimes they may have been accused of committing are not going to make the news anyway. 
I mean, if the police pick up somebody who's done graffiti or even somebody who stole a car, that's not likely to become a news story anyway. But if you've got a young man, let's say, who's accused of of committing rape, should the community know his name? Well, he has a right to be presumed uh, innocent till proved. Yes, he does. He has a right to be presumed innocent in a court of law before a jury. But I always like to ask the naysayers who say, well, we should uh, we should reserve judgment until the courts have uh, made their decision. Do you know why that's so ridiculous? I just had this conversation a little while ago with a listener who said, well, you know, but what if he's found not guilty? I said, would you put him in charge of your money if he's a, a you know, convicted cr- or a, an accused criminal? Well, no, of course not. And on, on, on things like sexual assault, like rape, if you have people who say, well, if he was found not guilty in a court of law, it means the state didn't prove its case. Well, that means he's innocent. I said, in that case, would you like to put him in charge of babysitting your 15-year-old daughter or 12-year-old daughter? Well, no, of course not. That'd be crazy. Yes, it would be crazy. In other words, that information actually means something to the community. If you say there's a young man accused of three armed robberies, suspected of 30 armed robberies, would you say, I'm going to keep that young man on on the staff at the company because I've got him doing a job and he's not guilty till he's proved guilty? Well, yeah, he's not guilty for the courts until he's proved guilty. The problem is, would you consider him not guilty when he says, I'd like to babysit your kids? or I'd like to manage the till at your store. Most people would, most sensible people would say, no, Democrats may be doing something else. I want to share with you very quickly a commentary piece written by a guy named Hasso Herring. He used to be the editor of a newspaper here in the Pacific Northwest. He wrote a great one on Measure 114, which as of a week from this Thursday, will effectively ban the purchase of all firearms in the state of Oregon for an indeterminate time. I think that's the best way to put it. Hasso, and I think the guy's been a brilliant writer. I wish he'd stayed at the helm of that newspaper. He said, unless a court intervenes before Measure 114 takes effect December 8th, it looks like after that date, private citizens will no longer be allowed to buy a firearm in Oregon for a good long time. But promoters of the initiative didn't mention that. The measure was sold as a common sense safety law. It requires a police permit before you can buy a firearm. And to get a permit, you have to prove you know how to use a gun. What's wrong with that? Well, the law also says that to get the permit to buy the gun, you have to prove completion of a firearms training course that is offered by law enforcement. Local police and sheriffs do not certify instructors for the general public, nor do they offer public firearms training. The state police say they're working on administrative rules to carry out the statute, but whenever the rules are adopted, they presumably can't change the plain wording of the law. So the training courses required to get a gun buying permit do not exist. Will they ever? Maybe, eventually, but only after individual law enforcement agencies decide they have the time and the money and they want to take the risk to train and then certified firearms instructors for the public. That is not likely to happen. And if it does, it'll probably take a year or more to get it going. Hasso Herring, brilliant writer. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. 
So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.